Today we're going to be in Daniel chapter 6. It tells about probably one of the most popular and famous stories about Daniel of all time in the Bible. Um, it's what we used to play out on flannel graph in Sunday school. Anybody remember the flannel graph days? Anybody have an idea who I'm gonna t- what I'm going to talk about? Daniel in the lion's den. That's right. An awesome story, especially played out on flannel graph. But I want to set this up this morning. Uh, when this text takes place, Daniel has grown to be an 80-year-old man. He's an older man by now. And you, of course, remember when he first came to Babylon... He was taken from Jerusalem, taken captive, taken back to Babylon to serve the king. And not only was uh, Daniel taken, three of his buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were also taken. They were dragged off to a foreign land uh, that was a whole lot different in, its, different in its culture and in its ways than their homeland. But the thing about Daniel, since we're talking about Daniel this morning, this guy uh, never complained. He never complained. He didn't play the role of a victim. You know what he did instead? He leaned more deeply into his relationship with his God. Instead of complaining and panicking, he leaned more into his relationship with his God. He decided to do what I think most of us try to do Monday through Sunday. It's that live out our faith in a wise, courageous, victorious way. Amen? At least that's what God wants us to do in often a very hostile and sometimes a godless world. But in Daniel chapter 6, Daniel is now serving under a brand new king. He had just uh, finished serving under Nebuchadnezzar. Now he's serving under King Darius, which is the third king he's actually served under in the 80 years of his life. But he's just like the president of the United States. Whenever a president is uh, uh, elected into office, uh, just like a king... They start choosing who they're going to put on their cabinet, who they're going to get on their team. So King Darius looks at all of the administrative uh, advisors, and uh, he's trying to decide on who's going to be on his cabinet in his new government. So he picks out 120 of them, and in this case, they're not senators and representatives. They are satraps. That is a cool name for kingdom protector. Well, what Darius, uh, when Darius interviews Daniel he finds his resume to be outstanding. It's really incredible when he looks at his track record, his personal integrity, his personal case file. He is amazing, and he promotes Daniel to one of the top three positions in his kingdom. So these three in the top positions are over all these other 120 satrap guys. That's a weird name, but satraps. In fact, he recently plans, uh, he, he decides he's going to soon promote Daniel. Daniel is so much above everyone else, he's secretly going to promote Daniel into kind of a prime minister position where he'll be head over it all next to the king. I want to look at Daniel chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. I'm going to read this. It's basically what I just tried to paraphrase, but listen to what it says. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. So their job is actually, actually to protect the king and to protect the kingdom. Look what it says in verse 3. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. 
So the king is about to give him a major promotion. But think about Daniel. Just a little bit you've heard in this series about Daniel. and Some of you have read more about Daniel, know more about Daniel. But think about Daniel. Through it all, he's the guy that stands out. He is a class act, this Daniel. He serves with an excellent spirit. He always serves with an excellent attitude. He always goes the extra mile. This king realizes that. He looks on and he sees Daniel and he says, Man, this guy is head and shoulders above everyone else when it comes to serving in my kingdom. So I'm going to give him a promotion. I'm going to put him second only to me. That's a huge promotion. And keep imagining, this guy originally came from Jerusalem. He wound up in Babylon under the king's care, and now he's going to be second in command. When you hear that, it sounds like a pretty good day for Daniel, right? Pretty good promotion, pretty good deal. Daniel gets promoted. He gets to still serve his God. He still gets to uh, be a good witness for his God and serve this new king. But the reality is what looks like a huge promotion on the outside causes a lot of problems on the inside. And I say that because these two other high-ranking administrators, they get jealous of Daniel. They decide, we're going to take this guy down. They get jealous. They go all hunger games, so to speak, on uh, Daniel. And they say, we're going to take him out. We're going to take him out of his position. They're so jealous. We're going to take on his role so that uh, we can look better. They're jealous, and they're trying to figure out any way they possibly can to take him out. Kind of reminds me of a story I heard about a man named Carl Erickson, 73-year-old man from South Dakota, who was sentenced to life in prison. It's a true story. After admitting to the murder of a former high school classmate of his, friends and family were shocked that this mild-mannered insurance man would one day just seem to snap. I mean, he had been happily married to his wife for over 44 years, but after the murder, Erickson's secret started coming out. You see, for over 50 years, he had simmered with this bitter grudge against an old high school classmate. He was still mad about the day that high school classmate pulled a jockstrap over his head during a locker room prank. Norman Johnson was the classmate and the murder victim. He was a star athlete on the track team. Um, And Erickson was the team manager at the time. But according to Erickson's confession to the police, he said that moment that that incident occurred, a seed of bitterness and resentment came into his heart that grew and festered for over 50 years. Apparently throughout their lives, this Norman Johnson had outshined Erickson every step of the way. He went on to college, played college football, got his degree, ended up coming back to his alma mater, teaching and coaching for 30 years. But after holding that grudge for over 50 years, Carl Erickson one day finally snapped. He walked up on the front porch of this Johnson Knocked on the door. When he came to the door, he shot him with a gun and killed him dead. Erickson told the judge, I guess it came and stemmed from something that happened over 50 years ago. It must have been in my subconscious. During his sentencing, Erickson turned to Johnson's widow and apologized, saying, I wish I could turn the calendar back. Think about what his jealousy, with what his anger and bitterness did to him. It consumed him. His anger and bitterness consumed him to the point that it destroyed him, basically, destroyed his life. Going back to Daniel and his story, think about these other two jealous administrators. They're thinking, we're going to take Daniel out, and all we really have to do is find a chink in his armor, and he'll fold up like a cheap suit, 
All we have to do is find something wrong with him. He's an old man now. He can never stand up against all the pressure we can give him. And they're jealous because the king kind of favored Daniel, and they knew it. They think this guy's been in government a long time. He's got to be corrupt by now. So anyway, they start digging up dirt on Daniel, but guess what? There isn't any. They can't find any dirt on this guy, no sexual immorality, no scandals, no embezzlement, no betrayals, nothing. You can't touch this guy, Daniel, because Daniel is an honest and blameless man. Look what it says in Daniel chapter 6, verse 4. It tells us, they sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for the complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. I'm thinking these guys are probably pretty disappointed. They're thinking, bummer, we thought we had him. You think they give up? No, they don't give up. They start thinking, what can we do to take this guy down? They're thinking, he's such a religious guy, we're never going to corrupt him. He's never going to do anything to uh, offend his God. And then all of a sudden, wait a minute, a light bulb comes on. They think, that's it. We've got him now. We'll attack his faith in his God. We're going to attack his faith in his God. Look what it says in verse 5. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. They're thinking, we've got him now. This is his Achilles heel. They're thinking, this guy is unwavering in his faith, unwavering in his devotion and religion. That's got to be his weakness. That's how we're going to get to Daniel. You know, when I think about it, I think in the world we live in, some people treat us as followers of Christ or think of us the same way. They look at our commitment to Christ and they mock us. They look at our commitment to Christ and they think, what fools to believe in something or someone you can't even see. And a lot of times they view you and I as followers of Christ as being weak. So if you're taking notes this morning, I want to bring a few points out from this story that I believe will help us to overcome the overwhelming situations in our life. Number one, if you're taking notes, when God raises you up, expect people to tear you down. When God raises you up, expect people to come and try to tear you down. When God comes to give you a promotion, there's going to be somebody somewhere that's going to try to take that away from you or try to tear you down. And I think our whole problem is we think, well, wait a minute. I'm serving God with all of my heart. I'm loving Him. I'm praying to Him. I'm counting on Him and believing in Him. So I shouldn't have to face any kind of opposition. I'm doing all that God wants me to do. So I shouldn't have to face people coming against me, trying to harm me, trying to give me a hard time. Well, if that's your thought, you'd be wrong. Because the Bible even tells us that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And especially, uh, especially in those battles that the world tries to throw at us. But especially when you get on a mission with, for God. When you start working harder for God, the attacks are going to come, and they're going to try to take you down. The enemy's going to step out. He's going to try to take you down. Some of the hardest battles we ever face in life come when we're working the hardest for God. Have you ever found that out? Some of the hardest battles we face in life come when we're working our hardest for God. You think that means God isn't with us? Not at all. I think God will use the greatest battles that we fight to give us the greatest victories we've ever achieved in life or found in life. So you have to keep in mind, whenever we're trying to live for God, people are going to come against you. People are going to try to tear you down. The Bible even says the battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of this dark world. 
So the fact is, whenever we're trying to move the kingdom of God forward, we can always expect resistance. We can always expect resistance from the opposition, the prince of darkness. And sometimes the prince of darkness works through people, believe it or not. And sometimes very well-intentioned people. The prince of darkness will work against them. That's why it says we wrestle not against people. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers of this dark world. I heard it said one time this way, you know when a plane changes altitudes and rises higher? Sometimes it encounters turbulence. We've all heard of turbulence. Anybody ever ridden on a plane? When do you get turbulence? How do you get past the turbulence? Usually they put the nose of that plane and they fly above the turbulence. They get above it. But guess what? A higher level sometimes brings a higher devil in the spiritual walk. Amen? A higher level brings a, spiritual, higher, brings a bigger devil. So even if you're on track with your walk of faith, we need to still remember and realize reality is we're still going to be attacked. Uh, it's just a matter of fact. Uh, if you don't receive any opposition, I would say maybe it's because you're no threat. Think about that one. I mean, think about a basketball team. If you've got a star player on the basketball team, a lot of times they will uh, uh, put a player, their, well, the opposing team will put their best player against the star player, and sometimes they'll put two star player, or their good players against the star player, and you know why? Because he's a threat. I've seen it happen time and time again because they're a threat. So if you don't receive any opposition in your life, maybe you're not a threat. Well, these jealous administrators, they get uh, this idea that they're going to find a way to use Daniel's faith against Daniel. And think about Daniel. From what you've heard in these stories, Daniel never kept his faith in God a secret at all. I mean, he was pretty open about it. But let me ask you this. I heard this thought said one time. Um, if you were indicted for being a Christian, would they have enough evidence to convict you? If you and I were indicted for being a Christian, would they have enough evidence from your life to convict you? That's a good question to consider. Do we have the faith that Daniel had? We'll talk about that in a minute. Daniel's colleagues and uh, these guys against him had a mountain of evidence that Daniel was a, a man of faith. They had a mountain of evidence that he was a man of prayer. So they presented this very strange uh, accusation to the king against Daniel, not directly, well, it was directly against uh, Daniel in a roundabout way, but listen to what they come up with, a scheme against Daniel. Verse 7, the royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors, so they've got them all on their side, have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Think about the lion's den. I believe that's code for death penalty. Think about it. They didn't have the electric chair back then, the gas chamber. They didn't have the uh, lethal injection. But every king had a lion's den. Every king had a den full of hungry uh, lions uh, to take care of the death penalty cause. Anyway, Darius hears this, and he thinks it over and thinks, okay, guys, you've got a good idea. And I think part of the problem is because Darius isn't a whole lot different than a lot of kings. They were prideful, full of themselves, wanted to be treated as deity. They knew they weren't gods, but they sure liked to be treated like gods. So I believe King Darius, in his own weird way of thinking, thought, well, this sounds like a good idea. Anybody that prays to anyone else but me during these 30 days is going to become lion's lunch. Uh, we're going to throw them into the lion's den. 
And he says, that's going to be the rule. Well, this created a problem for Daniel because these administrators knew exactly that Daniel was a man of faith and a man of prayer. Let me ask you this morning, if somebody made a law like that today, would they have to worry about you and me because we're known as being people of prayer? Would they have to worry about that at all? They knew this would create a problem for Daniel because he was a man of consistent prayer with a prayer, consistent prayer life. But look at Daniel's response in verse 10. It's amazing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. You know, I was thinking about this. Put yourself in Daniel's shoes. He's 80 years old. He's been through all sorts of stuff. He could have easily compromised. He could have come up with some excuses. I mean, what would you do? Do you honor the decree and do you say, uh, uh, God, I'll just get back with you in 30 days. I'm going to take a break from prayer. Um, I'm going to take a little time off and I know you'll understand, God, because I'm so important to you and you love me so much and that you want me to live a long life and not be gobbled up by lions. You want me to live a long life to be more of an influence. I'm just going to take a prayer break for about 30 days. Or do you just take a nap? And quietly pray. I mean, no one's going to argue that an 80-year-old guy doesn't need a nap once in a while. Amen. I need a nap once in a while. So they're not going to argue about that. But I can imagine Daniel's enemies coming to him, and he's praying quietly with his eyes closed. And they say, Daniel, are you praying? He goes, no, I'm not praying. I'm just resting my eyes. Give me a break. He could have compromised. He could have made that excuse. Or does he even risk praying publicly at all? He didn't have to. But he was willing to take that risk. Daniel knew that his God was able to rescue him, but he didn't know if he would. But what does he do? He keeps on praying. Which brings me to my next important point, if you're taking notes, about how to overcome the overwhelming. Number two, have a regular routine of prayer. Make a time and a place. Have a regular routine of prayer. Make a time and a place. Verse 10 is so powerful, I want to read it again. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed, and I love these next six words, just as he had done before. Just as he had done before. That's the key. Daniel didn't do anything different. He did what he had always done, and that was pray. Even after hearing this news, he went upstairs, he opened the windows toward Jerusalem, and he prayed three times a day like I believe that he had done for most of his uh, adult life. Think about how big this really is. Think how huge this really is because that's actually where the battle was fought. It wasn't fought in the lion's den. It was fought in that upper room of his in prayer on his knees. Daniel was a man of prayer. He's, I would say he's a prayer warrior. Daniel was prayed up when the battle came. His faith in God was confirmed because he had a consistent daily prayer life with his God. How many have ever heard someone say, well, all we can do now is pray? You ever heard that? All we can do now is pray. You know what that makes me think? That you've tried everything else. You've tried everybody else. But now you've realized we haven't tried prayer yet. Why is it that we use prayer as a last resort? It ought to be our first resort. And why is it that when we approach prayer, uh, we're down in the moly grubs, we ought to get excited about prayer. 
We had to get excited about and have the attitude, wow, I get to pray. I get to come into the throne room of God. I get to pray to the God that created the universe. You know, we ought to have the attitude, I get to have an audience with God that cares about the minute, intimate details of my life. We ought to have the attitude that I get to go to the God of this universe. He hears the cries of those that humble themselves before Him. Guess what? We ought to have the attitude, we can pray. I get to pray. I get to talk to God. I get to know that He hears me when I talk to God. And God delights to move on our behalf because He loves you that much. He loves me that much that we get to pray. So next time you get in a situation to pray, don't take it on as a task. Take it on as a thrill. The opportunity of a lifetime to pray. For me, it's in the morning. I try to make my prayer time first thing in the morning before my day gets away from me. I go into the office before the phone starts ringing And I get down on my knees and humble myself before the one true God. And I ask Him for guidance and direction to do things in my life and make decisions in my life that will bring glory to Him. I ask Him to help me guide my family closer to Him, help me guide this church uh, closer to Him. I try not to start a day out without my prayer time. Those events and times have happened because of certain circumstances But I try not to start a day without my prayer time with God. And if you don't have a predetermined time with God right now, let me just tell you, it's not going to happen. It's not automatic. It has to be intentional. We have to make the time and the place and the effort. I get up in the morning, and Cheryl usually gets up a few minutes before me. And when I walk into the living room to get my cup of coffee... I see her there with her Bible open. She attended a Bible uh, study class that Jane Pickett taught uh, a while back where they, uh, they wrote down their prayers, wrote down their praises, um, wrote down their scriptures. Cheryl got in a habit of doing that to get her focus in the right place to start her day out in the right way. And I know hearing that, some of you might think, well, I don't know if I have that, n- that much discipline to do that. I've got to say, maybe you're asking the wrong question. The question is not, can I work up that kind of attitude or that kind of discipline? The better question is, do I have a desperation for God like Daniel had? Have I set my spiritual heights high enough? Are you desperate enough for God to give him just a little bit of time of your day and hopefully to start your day out that way? Give him a little bit of time uh, humbling yourself before him, coming before him, gaining the strength that you need to live the life for Christ that he wants you to live. Without prayer, you're not going to be able to do it. There is so much strength that I find in prayer. And I know if I find it, we can all find it. In His presence, working in our life. Do you pray enough to do what God is calling you to do? Well, look at these guys that are against Daniel. Verse 11. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So these guys are outside of Daniel's window. Uh, it's kind of like a uh, prayer stakeout. I don't know, maybe they're like, imagine, use your imagination, maybe they're a hall uh, crammed into a room across the street, into a hotel room across the street from Daniel's townhouse. They got the binoculars and their ear toward his balcony window. Guess what happens after that? They hear him praying. They go tattletailing to the king. But by this time, and I don't know exactly why, but the king is starting to figure out the deception here. And he gets upset with these jealous administrators. And it says he was greatly distressed. 
And he determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Let me just say this, he tried, but he couldn't. Because back then, when a king would make a decree, it was pretty much set in stone. It was unchangeable. The king felt terrible, without a doubt. He felt trapped because he really did love Daniel. This guy was, like I say, was a head and shoulders above everyone else. He loved Daniel. He knew he was about to promote him to prime minister. He knows that Daniel is not like anyone else in his government. He's the highest in integrity. He's the hardest working. He's the smartest. He's the most trustworthy. And now he's about to be fed to the lions because of some stupid law that was decreed by the king with an oversized ego. So this king realizes what he's done. He's full of regret. So he goes to Daniel right before he's to be put in the lion's den. And he says some pretty remarkable words to Daniel. Listen to what the king says. May your God, whom you serve continually... He's saying, Daniel, we've seen you have a real faith and serve your God continually day after day. May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. That's a pretty amazing statement. Verse 17, though, says, well, a stone was brought in and placed over the mouth of the den, sealing Daniel inside to meet his faith. What Darius was actually saying is, Daniel, we see that you're a man of faith. We see you praying. We hear you praying. We see you worshiping when you're a minority and no one else is worshiping. We see that you put your trust and your faith in your God against all circumstances, against all ridicule and resistance. Decade after decade, you have been a man of faith. He's saying, we respect you, Daniel. We respect you more than you know. We're pulling for you, Daniel, and we hope your God rescues you. Once again, we know what happens next if you know the story. Daniel is lowered into the den of starving lions. But guess what else the Scripture says? It says in verse 11 that God heard Daniel's prayer and sent an angel. This angel's description was to do what? Keep the mouths of the hungry lions shut. I can just imagine God putting his hand on Daniel's shoulder and said, Daniel, don't worry about a thing. I've got you covered. I've got this no matter what. And by the way, Daniel, let me introduce you to this angel that's going to stand by your side all night long. You know anything about angels? They are powerful beings. Very powerful beings. In fact, in the Old Testament, one angel was known for taking out 185,000 enemy troops in one night. They're powerful beings that you don't want to mess with. So this angel's job, sent by God, was to all night long keep the mouths of the lions shut and keep Daniel safe. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly what Daniel did for that whole night. We don't know if he slept. We don't know if he prayed but we know that he was covered and he was protected by God. You might say, well, what's that mean for me? I believe it means for us that we don't have to go to bed at night and worry about a thing if we're trusting it to God. We don't have to worry about a thing because God's got us covered, and the God that's got us covered is the God that's going to hold our tomorrow and going to take care of our tomorrow. Well, it's King Darius that doesn't get any sleep that night. That night he goes home. He doesn't eat. He doesn't call for any extra entertainment. Uh, he's devastated. He goes into his palace, and the king prays and fasted for Daniel, who's been thrown into the lion's den. And the first thing in the morning, he gets up, and he doesn't walk to the lion's den. He runs to the lion's den to see if there's anything left of Daniel, to see if Daniel's God has rescued him. And lo and behold, Daniel is not only alive... But listen to what it says in verse 23. When Daniel was lifted out of the pit, 
there was no wound found on him. When he was lifted out of that pit, there was not even a trace. There wasn't a bruise. There wasn't a rash. There wasn't a scratch. Nothing. Because God had heard his prayers and taken care of Daniel, which brings me to my last point. If you want to overcome the overwhelming situations in your life, have faith in God's plan for you. Have faith in God's plan for your life. Even when the, tough, the going gets tough, have faith that God has a plan for you in your life. Do you realize, we read these stories in the Bible, but do you realize when these people were going through these events, they didn't have the Bible to read. They were making the Bible. They were writing the Bible with their lives. Daniel had no idea this was going to work out good for him in the end. He had no idea. All he knew was that God had been faithful the 80 years of his life. That was what he was going off of. He looked back and see how God, saw how God brought him through time and time again, and God was faithful. He also trusted that God had a plan in all the craziness, just like he had trusted God for the past 80 years. But like I say, the king was on to these jealous administrators. The king gets angry at his colleagues who hatched this whole plan against uh, Daniel, and guess what he does? You know what he does if you know the story. He throws these guys and their families into the same lion's den. Listen to what it says in verse 24. Before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. To put it mildly, before they hit the floor, they were gone. These starving uh, lions were that hungry. Not a pretty picture, but think about it. The consequences of sin never are. And then right after that, the king drafts a letter and he sings it, sends it out to his whole kingdom, commending Daniel, but more importantly, commending the God of Daniel. And look at the words that this king says in verses 26 and 27. Daniel's God is the living God. He endures forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. I believe what the king is saying, I've never seen anything like this before. Every time we would put somebody in the lion's den, they were gone. They were gobbled up. They died. But this guy trusts in his God, and his God delivers him from these hungry, starving lions. Think about that thought. Think about what you've heard in this whole series. I would say that was a pretty overwhelming circumstance for Daniel. Amen? I think this story is a whole lot bigger than just that flannel graph story we heard in Sunday school. I think it's a huge story to remind us that no matter how big the lions look, no matter how hungry the lions seem, God is still God. God is still God and power over your lion's dens, over your problems. And before I close this up, you may not realize it, but this Old Testament book and story of Daniel is actually preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you realize that Daniel, the man Daniel, is a symbol of Jesus Christ himself? Who he was innocent, yet he was envied and hated and condemned to die. And he too was let down into a deep, dark pit of death. And then a stone was rolled across the opening. And then an official seal was put across the stone. And just as the angel was sent to Daniel, God sent angels to Jesus to testify he's not in there anymore. He is risen. He's alive. From the pit of death came the Prince of Peace. From that pit of death came the Prince of Life, and He's the one that conquered death today and forever. 
He conquered the power of death forever. And because of Him, we can know to be absent from the body doesn't mean that we're just dead. To be absent from the body means to be present with the Lord. Do you realize this God I've been talking about in the book of Daniel is Daniel's God? But He's also our God. And just as real as He was for Daniel then, He's as real today for you and me. His name is Jesus Christ, and He is also our Lord and our Savior. So the same God that rescued Daniel is here to rescue you from your sins if you'll turn to God's Son, Jesus Christ. You know, those who trust in Jesus, the Bible says, are counted as being righteous in God's sight and forgiven. So if you need that this morning, you need to come to God for some issue in your life. If you need that, if you want that, let me just tell you, don't wait a second. Run to the cross. Run to Jesus Christ and lay your sins at His feet because the moment you do that, He promises He'll forgive us. He'll give us a brand new life. And this promise isn't just for me and a few. This is promise for anyone that will trust in God's Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All we have to do is trust. Could you stand to your feet this morning? You know, every Sunday that I, before a service, I pray that everyone will have ears to hear. I may not get it out the way I want to sometimes, but I pray that it'll come out the way God wants it to come out. And I pray that He'll send whatever message I preach out in two or three hundred different directions, giving you what you need for your need for every day and where you're at in your life right now. So this morning, I pray that our hearts have been open, our ears are open. And Father God, in the name of Jesus, we come before you. We thank you, Lord God, for speaking to us today. If you're not speaking to some or they're not listening, Father, I pray that their hearts would be even more open to you today, this moment, than they ever have been before, to hear exactly what you want to say to them. I believe every time we come into your presence, God, you have something to say to every one of us. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would drive these truths into our hearts deeper than ever before. Lord, we don't ask for an easy road. I just pray for the courage and the strength to take the road that you would set our feet upon. We thank you, Lord God, that we can trust that our lives are in your hands, that we have nothing to fear because our time on this earth is appointed by you. You've got all the control. Father, give us the faith that Daniel has had and shown. May our faith be so clear and so evident that everyone knows that we belong to you. I don't pray for a den of lions for anyone, Lord God. But if that's what it takes for us to see your glory and to see your presence in our lives, I pray that you would give us the strength that we need to follow your will. Above all else, may you be glorified. May you be praised in every day of our life. And if you're here today and you've never asked God to come in and be Lord of your life, I want us to pray this prayer before we walk out of here today all together to invite Jesus Christ to come in to be Lord and Savior of your life. But will you repeat this after me? Heavenly Father, by faith I come to you asking you to forgive me to make me brand new. I believe Jesus is your Son who gave His life so I could be forgiven and so, could I, so I could experience your life. Today I trust Him as my Savior and my Lord. My life doesn't belong to me. I give it to you.
And I thank you for this brand new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I believe that uh, your name was just written down in the Lamb's book of life and God has an eternal plan for your life. But I want you to go out and be uh, followers of Christ like never before. To realize no matter how deep that pit is, no matter how dark that pit is, no matter how uh, tough it is, God is still right there. He'll send the angels around you. He'll help you. Go help the world for His glory. Amen. God bless you all. You're dismissed.